everyone, and welcome to A Moment of Change, a podcast brought to you by On Purpose London. I'm Sophia. I'm Martha. I'm Aisha. And I'm Ellie. And we'll be hosting this new series of the podcast, in which we'll be interrogating systems change interventions in conversation with individuals and leaders tackling various areas of social and environmental impact. Each episode will be hosted by one of us, and it'll be an opportunity for us to think about the practicalities of systems change rather than just the theory. Naturally, we'll focus on interventions that, through specific entry points or points of leverage, aim to shift an ecosystem as a whole. As the series develops, we'll aim to create connections between these systems in our society by inviting speakers that bring a new perspective to or build on the subject matter of previous episodes. In the spirit of On Purpose, we'll be learning as we go and hope that these conversations will help us visualise and internalise how ecosystems are in fact interconnected and we can all work together to bring about change. In this first episode, Ellie is speaking to Ian Merrill, CEO at Shannon Trust, a charity that supports people in prison to learn to read. As part of the On Purpose Associate Programme, Ellie has recently spent six months working with Shannon Trust. Ellie, can you tell us a bit more about the work that they do? Thanks, Aisha. As we speak, the prison population across England, Wales and Northern Ireland is around 80,000 people. Speaking to Ian, we learned that at least half, approximately 40,000 people, cannot read or struggle to. Low literacy within prison populations may not immediately strike us as a systemic issue, but I would challenge everyone listening to consider, just for a moment, what today would have been like if you couldn't read. The truth is that literacy underpins our daily participation in society, our self-worth, confidence and ability to express ourselves. This includes everything from our ability to communicate with friends and family, to fill out a job application, or simply choose what we'd like to eat from a menu. Shannon Trust delivers its reading programme called Turning Pages to thousands of people in prison each year. Their work is making it possible for many people to take their second chance to learn to read so that they can participate in a society which, in Ian's words, largely runs on the written word. Hi Ian. We're delighted to have you on our first episode of this new series. Thank you for joining us. To start us off, could you tell us a bit more about Shannon Trust's work? Hi, Ellie. Thanks for that introduction and good to be here. Yeah, the core of Shannon Trust's work is making it possible for people in prison to learn to read. As we talk, the prison population across England, Wales and Northern Ireland is around 80,000 and at least half those people either cannot read or struggle to. So the Shannon Trust works in over 100 prisons, takes its reading programme called Turning Pages to thousands of people in prison each year. Thanks, Ian. And could you tell us a bit more about how Shannon Trust works and what your theory of change is? Yeah, of course. So our our theory of change starts with the recognition that those who cannot read are most likely to learn if efforts to do so are informal, go at your own pace in a way that builds confidence and that are linked to milestones that are important to the learner. So our model uses a phonics-based programme called Turning Pages and we train mentors, that's prisoners who can read, to teach other prisoners who want to learn. Our learners work through the programme in short, regular sessions with their mentor and anywhere in the prison. And the evidence is that this approach works. People learn to read, they're able to navigate prison life much better, they can go on to more education and a more positive future. Fantastic, thank you. And could you give us an example of some of those milestones and motivations that individuals might have for learning to read? Yeah, it obviously depends on the individual concern, but it can be something like being able to read a letter from home for the first time, being able to actually read the menu of food that's available, 
we often notice that people tick the same box on the menu because they know what's coming. Mm-hmm. But obviously limits their food choices. And there are other ways in which people build in their own objectives related to their ability to learn to read. It really sounds like those things that often we would take for granted to be able to read a food menu or to be able to read a letter from home. So those are really significant things for individuals to be able to do. At Shannon Trust at the moment, and um, the work predominantly overlaps between education and the criminal justice system. If you think about those wider systems as a whole, what kind of fundamental change do you think is needed? Yeah, that's a great question. What I would say is that the education and criminal justice systems are clearly very large, very complex entities in which the need for change is always a hot, contested topic. However, if we think about the size of the issue that Shannon Trust is trying to address, so levels of illiteracy in our society are really eye-watering, then addressing the causes of that is critical alongside attempts to ameliorate the symptoms. So if we're talking systems change, then I would suggest that as a society, we have to tackle illiteracy amongst school-aged children. That makes sense. But at the other end, continue to invest in effective prison education, for example. Thank you. And how is Shannon Trust contributing to that system change that is required? Yeah, so Shannon Trust's you know, primary role is to enable people in prison to be able to learn to read. Uh, we've just launched a new three-year strategy. And the first aim of that is to reach many more people in prison who would benefit from our support. In part, this is about securing further investment so that we can grow our capacity to do more. But it's also about continuing to raise the importance of literacy. And in that sense, the recent Prisons White Paper indicates that the government do seem to be listening. There were many references to literacy and numeracy as key determinants of better prison education, training and employment. So I'm hopeful that further investment will come in future. Thank you. And do you think that the links between poor literacy and other issues such as employment opportunities and reduced reoffending are things that are commonly understood and acknowledged? In the general public, probably not. But I think in terms of the sector and people working in this space, I would certainly say so. But what we need to do here is match up the number of people who need support with learning to read with some serious investment in that area. What we do know, if you look at the current approach to education in prisons, is that a lot of people don't get anywhere near the formal education system because they're unable to read or indeed cope with basic maths. And many of those people also have really poor experiences of education as young people. So we've got to address those issues to enable people to move forward and and take up further education. But it's also important in terms of the sort of richness of the life you might enjoy. Absolutely. I'm sure for those of us that are able to read, the idea of not being able to is something that's very difficult to imagine. I think it has been described as gaining a sense when you can learn to read and you haven't been able to before. Suddenly you can understand the world in a much richer way. There's a view that interventions to address social problems should address the cause of those issues rather than the symptoms of the problem. Do you view that Shannon Trust's work addresses the causes or symptoms of some of these problems that we've described? So let's just take a moment to break that down. So when thinking about systems change, it can be tempting to dismiss initiatives that don't address the root cause of an issue as sticking plasters, essentially something that's papering over the cracks and failing to bring about systemic change. 
This view can potentially be problematic because it can undermine vital work that's being done at other points in the system, which are addressing areas of immediate need. Both approaches are working to address social change. They complement each other and they're both necessary to achieve systems change. Ellie's question is digging a little bit deeper into this conflict. Something will probably come across in all of our episodes. Let's hear Ian's take. Yeah, I mean, I recognise where the question's coming from and I'm certainly somebody who's interested in why things happen and trying to get to the root cause of issues. I think our work does speak to both the causes and symptoms of illiteracy. And as I've suggested, change in complex systems is multifaceted and requires many stakeholders to collaborate. I would say that the causes or symptoms debate is also in danger of missing a critical point. I mean, yes, let's take a systems view and look to bring about change. But of course, that takes time. And during that time, many people will continue to suffer because of issues like illiteracy. Ian is totally right here. Complex systems require complex and collaborative solutions, and that's one of the foundations of systems thinking. In Ellie's next question, we're digging into systems change theory in more detail, so this feels like a good moment to offer some additional resources. If you'd like an introduction to systems change thinking, there are some great resources available on the New Philanthropy Capital website. We've included a link to this along with this podcast. Back to Ellie. Something else that system change theory often refers to is points of leverage. And these are the points in a system where a change or an intervention is likely to have the greatest impact. When we think about the issue of poor literacy, where do you think those points of leverage are? And is the criminal justice system one of them? Yes, I think it is. And if you were to map the criminal justice system and people's journey through it, you can see really clearly that there are points of leverage. Focusing on the prisons element where Shannon Trust does the majority of its work, somebody enters prison, they are assessed. So there's a real opportunity to intervene there. And during somebody's stay in prison, there'll be various points where support with literacy are possible and in preparation for and post-release. So I think there are many points that you can identify as leverage points, and we're looking to build our work around those. As somebody engages with the probation service, for example, there's an opportunity there to also intervene. It sounds like those leverage points that you've identified are often where people come into contact with social services or systems that are designed to help them. Is that the case? Yeah, and I think this is an in, this is an area that we're really interested in, particularly when it comes to the development of digital learning resources. So we are in the process of building a digital turning pages app, which will be released in spring 2022. And one of the places where that app is going to be available is in probation services, where prison leavers will engage with probation staff. So there's a great opportunity there for people working in probation to use literacy support to also support engagement. And you've previously worked in substance misuse organisations. Do you think that there's a link between some of these social problems? Yeah, I do. I do see a link between issues like substance misuse and illiteracy. I think that people's life chances are negatively affected by poverty, inequality, and certainly underinvestment in public services. And I think that drug use or poor educational attainment are linked to that too. I also still think that we too often pathologize issues such as substance misuse and not being able to read. And whilst I do think we all have a personal responsibility to make the most of life, make the most of the gifts we have, 
contribute to society. That's so much more challenging if your circumstances are difficult. So I think the role of organisations like Shannon Trust ought to be to help people build on their strengths, learn new skills and create a better future. But that has to be in the context of a society that's concerned about fairness, active citizenship, welfare and cooperation. And it sounds like in the spirit of cooperation, there's opportunity for some of these organisations to work more closely together. I know that Shannon Trust is expanding its work into the community. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I can. So most of the people that Shannon Trust might ever engage with in prison are going to be released at some point, and many of them in the short to medium term. So what that means is that education and learning journeys are often interrupted or they don't even get started. So in recognition of that, we want to develop our presence in the community. And the way we intend to do this is by bringing our learning programs, starting with turning pages, to new community partners like the probation service, substance misuse charities, housing support providers and others. And the way we will do this is by training their staff, their volunteers, their peer mentors, to coach people to learn to read using turning pages. And we've been testing this over recent months. We're confident that it's going to work, but we now want to extend it significantly. And I think key to this will be the release of our Turning Pages digital app in spring 22. And this is really going to allow us to work at scale and reach thousands of new learners. It sounds like what you're describing, that community expansion, is actually Shannon Trust identifying some of those other points of leverage in the system where individuals are coming into contact with other services and actually you being able to intervene at the same time to help with literacy. Could you talk about the aim of that community work? Yeah, that's a a really good way of describing it, Ellie. So points of leverage in this case are those community agencies that are already engaging with tens of thousands of people a percentage of whom are likely to be non-readers. So it seems to us just to make sense to engage with those agencies, train their people using our learning resources and our know-how to really reach a lot more people. Thinking beyond the um, short to medium term, where we've got this community scheme and the digital app development, where do you see the trust and more widely the sector in the next 10 to 20 years I think in terms of the wider sector, there's probably a number of ways in which organisations like ours need to continue to evolve. The world is changing and charities need to adapt with it. I think charities need to be really clear about the impact that they have. They need to understand their impact. They need to be able to measure it. They need to be able to demonstrate it. That's important for funders, people who do donate and want to see their money used well, and ultimately for the people who might benefit from those services. And also the reality is that we need to be more creative when it comes to generating income. I think for many charities, traditionally, we have relied upon trusts and foundations to make grants or members of the public to make donations. But I think we need to be more creative and find other ways of generating income to support our work. You've talked a lot about the role of charities, and I'm kind of interested to know whether or not you think that real systems change and the change that's required can come from the charity in the grassroots level, whether it needs to come from a more top-down approach through legislation and government initiatives, or whether it, it really requires a combination of both of those things? Yeah, I would say it's both. So I think what the charity sector can be good at is innovation, being nimble, doing things quickly, 
And in that sense, it should be supported to, to be able to do that, whether that's through funding, partnering with other organisations. But as you said, I think the policy framework in which charities operate is really important as well. And I think the good charities do two things. They support the people that they want to work with through the services they provide, but they also advocate for their beneficiaries at a governmental level, highlighting what policies are problematic for people and trying to make change that way. So I think both things are really important. Thank you. I think it'd be really interesting for us to understand a bit better the personal impact that reading can have on someone's life. Have you got any examples of that? There are loads of examples of how learning to read with Shannon Trust has made a big difference to people. And I'll give you one example, a chap called Ben. Ben ended up in prison in January 2020. And during what's called his initial assessment, it was identified that he needed some additional support, that he'd not engaged with education when he was younger, and that he wasn't able to read or write. Ben had been born into the traveller community, and he told us that he'd always been told to look after himself physically by learning boxing and to look after his family. Ben was offered the support of the Shannon Trust, but he refused it. And I think at the time it was fairly clear he refused the support because he was pretty embarrassed about not being able to read. Then COVID happens and prisons went into lockdown and Ben became yet another person in prison who wasn't able to access things like education. But Ben's focus during lockdown was to concentrate on what he really enjoys and knows best, and that was the gym. During his gym sessions, Ben became friendly with another prisoner who's called Martin, who was a Shannon Trust mentor based on the same wing. And they got talking and they formed a bond. And Ben started to work with Martin on turning pages. And for the first time in his life, he began to learn to read. Ben and Martin worked together, they had one-to-one sessions over a number of months, and his reading ability improved significantly. He's gone on to do further education, and he's now even sitting his first exam. And he's really pleased with that, and tells us that the future looks much brighter. Fantastic. What a success story. It just shows that the individual has got to be ready to take on something new, like learning to read. Actually, he had to find that person at the gym and be ready to make the change. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So our aim is to be there when people are ready, but sometimes takes time. There may be triggers that lead people to want to seek support with their reading, but we have to be patient sometimes as well. There are many reasons why people don't learn to read and we just have to work through those and be ready when somebody's time time has come. In that story of Ben that you just described, I was struck by his reluctance to learn to read. Where do you think that that reluctance might come from? And I guess it's different for every individual. Is there some trauma associated with education sometimes? I can't say for certain this is Ben's story, but I think it's probably the case that people like Ben have been traumatised by their early experiences of education. I mean, some people don't engage with education at all. For those who do go to school, we often support people who've got really poor experiences of education. They just haven't, they just haven't seen education as something for them when they were younger. And then that often leads to more difficulties. People are amazing though. They, they find incredible ways to work around the fact that they can't read 
in a society that's you know runs on uh, the written word quite often but it's often the case that people eventually come to a realization that they do want to read when that happens we need to be ready to support them our approach is designed specifically to take into account those earlier poor experiences of education so we don't expect people to come to a classroom of 25 people and put their hand up and say they can't read we engage with them one-to-one it's peer-led so they can work with a mentor you can go at your own pace we don't insist on qualifications and that program is designed to build confidence as you go so i think once you make a decision your own personal leverage point if you like the shannon trust is there to help people to learn to read in a way that builds confidence and can lead on to the take-up of further education for example. And in that example, you touched on some of the issues that might have led to Ben being unable to read. I'm sure there are myriad reasons depending on the individual. Are learning difficulties one of the things that is a common cause for people being unable to read? Yeah. So the data isn't fantastically clear about this, but it's a fair bet that there are many thousands of people in prison who have either a formal learning disability diagnosis or if they were to be assessed, would probably be received one. We try to work with anybody in the prison system who needs the support to learn to read. But I think probably a good percentage of the people that we do support do have a learning disability. And so what we focus on is the communication element of that. And by focusing on literacy, equipping somebody with reading skills we think they're better able to navigate prison life and also to navigate life when they're released as well. And following completion of the Shannon Trust programme, when someone's got some competence at reading, what are the next steps for them? Where does it lead for an individual? So I think once somebody is able to read competently and they gain the confidence that often comes with that, they're then able in the prison environment to access more formal education. And there's a range of subjects and classes as part of the prison education curriculum, which they can take up. What I'm really pleased about in terms of Shannon Trust's role here is that when we survey our learners, we see that usually nine out of 10 people who complete the Shannon Trust program actually go on to take up further education in the prison environment. And that's fantastic because we are very much the bridge to that education with a front door as well, if you like, by addressing people's, helping people to address their own uh, issues with reading. We're able to encourage people to take up more education and from that training opportunities and hopefully employment and uh, better prospects on release. So you've talked about the work that Shannon Trust does. Practically speaking, how do you administer all that and access all of those people in prison? Yep, so our programme relies on the hard work and passion of a, a number of important groups. So we've got a small staff team spread across the country, all working from home these days, post pandemic. And they are supported by uh, what I'd call a small army of volunteers. A fantastic group of volunteers who help us train prisoner mentors, who help us build relationships with prisons. Beyond that, we partner with the Majesty's Prisons and Probation Service. They're they're a key stakeholder for us. 
we work closely with them both at a prison level to build those operational relationships but also at a departmental level where we're trying to develop our programs and attract additional investment for our work. Thank you. And do you think that that close relationship that you have with HMPPS is going to be helpful in bringing about the kind of change that's needed within both the prison service and more widely education? I think it is because HMPPS has some major challenges to overcome. We know that the prison population is going to increase significantly over the next few years. Estimates are that there'll be 100,000 people in prison by 2030. We think that the staffing levels in those prisons are likely to be lower. We're expecting to see increased use of technology, including in how education happens. And there is also a number of new prisons being constructed as we speak and plans to build more. So HMPPS has some big challenges. The strategy that we've recently put in place recognises those changes. It'd be pointless building a strategy that didn't. So we will continue to work as closely as we can do with HMPPS to get their support for what we do operationally and in terms of the policies that they bring forward. You mentioned that you've launched a new strategy recently. Are there any other objectives um, that are part of that new approach? Yeah, there is. There's a third strand beyond increasing our reach inside prisons and also developing the community, and that's broadening our learning offer. What we've noticed clearly from talking to our learners previously is that many people who struggle with reading also struggle with maths. So what we've decided to do is expand our learning offer and start to offer a basic maths programme from early in 2022. And the idea is that that will replicate the model we use now. So again, we will train prisoner mentors to be able to coach people through a basic maths learning programme. We'll do that in a small number of prisons to start with, but the idea is to roll that out across as much of the prison estate as we can over the next three years. Eventually, of course, we'd also like to take that into our community offer as well. But first things first, we'll uh, we'll start to deliver that in some prisons in 2020. Thank you. And for listeners who have been inspired by this podcast, how can they find out more or support the work of Shannon Trust? Well, probably the first place to look would be our own website. And you can find us on social media, of course. And There are various ways to get involved with the Shannon Trust. You can donate, of course. You can volunteer. We've got lots of different volunteer roles. You can work with us. We have vacancies from time to time. You can partner with us in our prison delivery or in the community. And in general, uh, tell other people about what we do and the uh, mission that we have. Thank you very much. It sounds like Shannon Trust has got ambitious plans for the future. It's been so great to talk to you um, this afternoon. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ellie. Thank you for the opportunity to talk today and and to On Purpose for making this happen. Thank you so much, Ellie and Ian. What a great way to kick off this new series of the podcast. At the end of each episode, we're going to have a discussion about what we've heard. We think it would be interesting to reflect on the work of Shannon Trust from a systems change perspective. There are various ways of thinking about systems change interventions to help us understand their impact. 
One model we might refer to in this series is the iceberg model. Since this is episode one, Aisha's going to take a moment here to tell you a little bit more about the model and how it works. The model uses the analogy of an iceberg, in which 90% is under the surface and can be difficult to see and change. The 10% of the iceberg that's above the surface represents the issue we can see, in this case the high number of people in prison who struggle to read. Beneath sea level are the layers that contribute to that surface problem. These are difficult to see and are often deep-rooted. These include the patterns and trends that have contributed to a problem. An example of a pattern here is that people who have a learning difficulty are more likely to end up in prison. There is also an underlying structure that influences these patterns and trends. In this example, that could be children leaving school with poor levels of literacy. And finally, the deepest level of the iceberg, which are really difficult to change but often have the biggest impact, are the assumptions, beliefs and values that underpin the system. These could be that as a society, we do not value education highly enough or there is not enough emphasis on learning to read. Thanks for that explanation, Aisha. Hopefully you now have a better understanding of the iceberg model. In theory, an intervention at the deepest level to influence beliefs and values will have the biggest change, but this is also the most challenging change to bring about. For this reason, it's important that we work to collectively bring about change at every level of the iceberg. With this in mind, I think that Shannon Trust are working at the patterns and trends level of the iceberg. They're helping to break the pattern of people who cannot read having a greater chance of reoffending and a reduced likelihood of rehabilitation. Although having said that, the community work that they're doing, where they're helping people to learn to read before they're part of the criminal justice system, feels like it's working at a more structural level. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point you've made, Ellie. And I think it's also important to consider people in society and their views. And I think there's a huge element here around the need to change views in society around supporting people who've been in prison rather than punishing them and almost removing that stigma and giving them the tools to re-enter society and be able to make a positive contribution in that way. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, Aisha, what you're saying about changing those uh, societal views of people who have been in prison and actually changing that so that society itself is supporting them to re-enter working life, to re-enter wider society. It might seem tackling illiteracy in prisons is a very specific targeted point of entry and Shannon Trust have clearly identified a really impactful lever to support people who are being failed by the wider education system and society in general. And for exactly that reason, the reason of changing the views of people who have been through the criminal justice system, I'm excited to see how much further Shannon Trust lean into doing work in the wider community. They're already doing work with other entities in the space, and it's great to see an organisation being proactive about pushing the boundaries of their own intervention. And it will be really exciting to see the wider impact that their work can have on societal preconceptions. In our next episode, we're moving from literacy to oracy, where I'll be speaking to Becky Earnshaw, CEO of Voice21, a charity where I'm currently doing my on-purpose placement. Voice 21 are on a mission to empower all children and young people to use their voice for success in school and in life. Really looking forward to catching up with Becky.